The following podcast is a Dear Media production. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Let some things be retrograde. Hello, you guys, and welcome to the show today. I am Elizabeth Cott. I'm your host for today's episode. Really excited about this one. A lot of you messaged me over the past year asking for today's guest to be on the show. We've got Danny Pellegrino joining us. He is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Everything Iconic. I think that there is an art to talking about pop culture and Bravo and recapping Housewives, and he is a true master of that art, and I just so enjoy listening him, so, listening to him. <laughs> listening him? Okay, guys. It's just me on the mic today. We're working it out. I so enjoy listening to him and really excited to just pick his brain on all things Housewives. If you are a big Housewives fan, I want to point you into the direction of a book that I read last month by Brian Moylan. He does these fantastic recaps for Vulture. The book's called The Housewives, The Real Story Behind the Real Housewives. Danny's included in the book, so we talk about it a little bit, but I want to share if anybody feels a little like not embracing the Housewives fan within, I want to share this little excerpt. This is after he dives into kind of the great feminist debate around being a Housewives fan, if it's pro-feminist, if it's anti-feminist, all of that. I studied gender studies in school, so I'm very interested in this conversation, but I'm offering this to you that he offers us. He says, so the next time someone at a party has something to say about your passion for the real housewives, just let them know that you're actually an amateur media critic and feminist critical theory observer. They're just some asshole who thinks they're cool because they don't own a television, right? Okay, so like we all have our little thing. Like for me, it's just like a fun, vice that I talk about with my friends on text. Like we get into it. We love the gifts. We love the silly phrases that come out of it. Like it's just something that brings me joy. So it's very fun to talk about this with someone else. So if you're a Housewife fan or not, hope you join me for this conversation. I had the best time. I mentioned it's July. So I wanted to share a little bit around the number seven that Remington Donovan, our resident numerologist, sent in his newsletter this month. So seven is the number of victory, elevation, and prosperity. Let this be a time to upgrade your life and those around you. This is the month to create a nicer, easier, softer, brighter world that brings your soul a sense of safety and security. Seven is represented by the planet Venus, where true value, true beauty, and true worth reside. Use this month to tap into more creativity and bring a little more romance, music, art, and opulence to your days. And you know what? Seven, also perfect number of a housewife's cast. Less than seven, too small. Greater than seven, too big. You with me on that? Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. I just want to say before we get to the convo with Danny, you can find us over at thatsoretrograde.com. You can sign up for our newsletter over there as well. You can find me on Instagram at Elizabeth Cott. That's K-O-T-T. And that's so retrograde on Instagram at so retrograde. But you know what? I always like to take July as a little bit of a social media wind down. 
little less screen time, a little more me time. Feel me? Okay. Let's welcome Danny to the show. Okay, you guys, I am thrilled about this conversation. It has been a heart wish for so long. As Wendy Williams would say, this guest today is a friend in my head. We've got the icon and the legend, Danny Pellegrino of Everything Iconic Podcast. Welcome to That's So Retrograde, Danny. Hello. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. And, you know, we have so much to talk about, but thank you for having me. And I love your dress too, by the way. Well, thank you so much. So a little background. I discovered your show. I'm like a late adopter. I discovered it during COVID and it was my, I would go on walks and listen to you and like vibe with everything you were saying about your housewives analysis and pop culture. And it was just like, you know, nodding along and it just felt like such an escape. And it was like a hug of a show for me. And it just kept me my spirit's high. And I know you you do that for so many people. And it just chef's kiss. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Those early COVID days were really hard, I think, on everyone. And it was, I think we were all looking for ways to escape so much that was going on. And it was heavy, heavy stuff. And so, yeah, Bravo was that for me in so many ways. Like, especially those, those early days of COVID, I remember we had like a season of Real Houses in New York and then Potomac came along. And it was like, uh, I was so happy to have those worlds to escape to. At Absolutely. That time. Yeah, no, I have like a, a group chat uh, of Bravo discussions. And at the time when, when Roni was happening, it was the Coroni chat. And then now <laughs> it's prostitution whores, but you know, we're basically like that. So I think the reason why your show resonates with me so much in how you speak about all things Bravo is that, you know, Brian Moylan's Housewives book came out recently and he said there's two kinds of viewers. There's a sincere Bravo viewer and an ironic viewer. And I'm the latter. You're the latter. I don't know. I'm sure this happens to you. People will corner me and they'll be like, oh my God, I just love like Teresa's outfits. And like, you know, talking about that sort of thing. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not how I dialogue about this show. (laughs) Like we're not talking about how cute the kids are or like anything like that. We are talking about the insanity and the hilarity. Right. And maybe we'll say, I'm happy when somebody says, "Did did you see how ridiculous that outfit was? Like, I like when somebody says, did you see like, what the heck was that bow that Sutton was wearing? Right. You know, like I, I like that sort of dialogue, but you're right. Yeah. You know, there's the ironic viewer. And I think the majority of Bravo viewers are very intelligent and we use this as our escape. And then we also dial in and analyze these shows in a different type of way than maybe the casual viewer who's watching while they're folding socks or something. Exactly. So how did the inception of the show come about? It's funny you mentioned a group chat with friends because one of my very best friends, she lives in Ohio and her name is Beth. And we used to always text about housewives. And I remember when when gifts or gifs or whatever started coming around, we would constantly text those back and forth. And it was a way to help our, us maintain our friendship through the distance of of not, I live in California and she's in Ohio. And so that was one thing that we connected on. And I was also trying to find like my own creative outlet. I'd been doing stand-up and sketch comedy around town, but nothing was really working for me. And I decided to really lean into social media. At one point, I'd been dealing with some mental health stuff. And uh, when I leaned into social media, I had been posting a lot of like housewives memes and Bravo memes, and then also some pop culture memes. And I started to develop this little following of people who I think had very similar interests in terms of housewives and pop culture and, and rom-coms and, uh, you know, all the things that we sort of love. Then 
a friend recommended, I had said I was never going to perform on stage again. I was like, I can't get back on stage. Like I had been, you know, going through this pretty bad depressive episode. And I, my friend said, you know, you could perform on stage without actually leave, or you could perform without leaving your house. So a podcast, you know, you just get behind the microphone and it seemed like a great idea to just be able to get all these thoughts about Bravo, some of the things that my friend and I would text back and forth about. And then also knowing that I had had grown a small community, I thought maybe some of those people might tune into the podcast or follow me from social media over to the podcast. And so that's kind of like how it started. And and then it snowballed from there. You know, I, I've always tried to mix both pop culture, celebrity interviews with the Bravo recaps. And I know some people tune in for one, other people tune in for the other. I'd say the majority of people are interested more in the Bravo recaps, but it's fun to kind of to mix both. And, and that's kind of where it all started. Did I ramble a lot? That was, was that perfect. A I asked you a question, answer? so you answered it, which, was, <laughs> <laughs> which is just how I like it. So <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes because I took notes for this interview. I literally never take notes. I've like prepped. My uh, producer, I was like, I'm nervous. I'm excited. Oh my God, don't be nervous. <laughs> we're having the best time. And also just totally. while, we're on, while we're on the topic of notes, I t- take the most insane notes when I'm watching these Housewives shows. And like, cause I have my computer in front of me and I'm typing as I'm watching the shows for the recaps. And sometimes I look at the notes and I'm like, these are batshit crazy. And if anyone were to see my Word document, like early on, I thought maybe I should like post them somewhere, <laughs> but they don't even make any sense. Cause they're just like, it's like Sutton Bow. Yeah. Or do, right. do you ever like get over it and you're just like, oh, like the last thing I want to do is watch a Housewives episode because, you know, it's like you can be so digging a topic and into it. But when it pivots into like your livelihood and your work, obviously there's a different energy around it. So how do you feel about it? I totally do. You know, I, I hate to say it and I, I certainly don't mean to sound, don't mean to complain because it is a dream come true that I've sort of been able to make a living doing this. But yeah, there are times, particularly when there's like a few housewife franchises going at once, or if I'm recapping more than I'd say two shows, I get a little stir crazy because it does take a while. I still do all of my own editing. I do my guest booking and I do promotion. Like I, I'm a one-man band here. And so sometimes it can be overwhelming, particularly when I have other writing gigs or other gigs going on at the same time that, you know, to have to sit down and watch a show and take notes. And then it, I sound so gross complaining about you it. But don't then sometimes, sometimes, you know, you miss stuff. And I do try to be very meticulous, but occasionally I'll run to the kitchen or the bathroom or something, I'll miss something. And then people feel very passionately about these shows. And I get that, I do too. But sometimes I'll get something wrong or miss something. And then that's when I get like, I I sort of will lose it because somebody will message me online. Like, I can't believe you said her dress was blue and it was green or something. Right. You know, something insane. And I'll be like, man, I put so much work into it. And that's like what people will glean from the episode. And it's like the smallest percentage, you know? So I certainly don't mean to complain, but those are the kind of moments where I'm like, oh, like just just need a break and it becomes a little overwhelming. I, I, I'd say sort of like the mix of talking about something so silly and then sometimes when the feedback is is very intense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I hear you kind of allude to it on the show often. You'll be like, you guys are going to slide in my DMs and call me out on this or whatever the case may be. And you mentioned social media and mental health and 
<laughs> that's a juxtaposition, right? So how do you kind of keep doing your thing and not letting it like bug or what's the deal there? You know, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think early on in the pandemic, I had a bunch of health stuff going on and it was so difficult for me to like figure or try to figure out how much to share with people on the show because I'm pretty much an open book and I do talk about my life. But when it comes to like health stuff, you don't want to go dive too deep. And what happens with health stuff is like people will online doctor you. So like you'll say something and then they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, you have this wrong with you. You should check this. So you don't want to reveal too much information, but then also it's hard. You want to let people know, like, this is why I'm not really hundred percent today. And so I've been trying to learn that balance of like sharing without a oversharing, but also letting people in and know, like, this is why I might sound a little off today, or this is why I might be not as energetic or not as whatever. We're such in a time where it's like, put it all out there society. And I always I mean, that just doesn't work with me and like my tendencies. So I, I hear you. I personally am like, share what's comfortable. And if it's what's not, that's fine too. The other main thing, and I don't know if this is like advice for anyone out there, but maybe it's good advice, but it's like, just follow your own thing and do what makes you happy. And then hopefully the audience will also, uh, will latch on to that and they'll like the same stuff. But if you, if you're trying to please sort of like every single person, I think ultimately uh, it'll be hard to win in that scenario. Yeah, you have to sort of keep head down and like just do what feels right. And if it resonates, cool. If it doesn't, then chic c'est la vie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys joined us back in June, our episode number 317 had cosmetic dermatologist Dr. Shirazi and mental health expert Maria Sosa on. We talked about this survey that Mederma did around skin issues and insecurities. And the survey revealed that three in five respondents agreed that their skin has a big impact on their self-confidence and mental health. And, you know, when it comes to skin stuff, irritations, we've really been through it on the show when it comes to like Steph's chalazin or the acne or the eczema that I was dealing with for so long, the dermatitis. I mean, it was... I, I get it. It's so, so challenging. And Moderma's new You Are More Than Your Scar campaign is revealing the ways in which perceived physical skin imperfections like acne scars, surgical scars, and stretch marks can affect mental health, self-confidence, and anxiety. And they understand how Americans feel about scars and stretch marks that leave a mark, which is why they want to remind you, you are more than your scar. What a great reminder. Our lives go deeper than what one can see on the surface. That's why Mederma Scar products contain this unique triple action formula that doesn't just sit on the surface, but penetrates beneath the skin to seal in moisture to renew skin cells and aid formation of collagen, visibly reducing the appearance of scars. I honestly have been using the SPF when I go outside, it's their scar formula with an added SPF. So the sunspots that I had removed that were precancerous, obviously those definitely need to stay out of the sun. I need to be really careful. But when I'm in a bathing suit, those are exactly the spots that are revealed. So I've been using the Mederma SPF and it is such a great product. It goes on wonderfully. It stays on. It's definitely effective. 
Highly recommend. So you can learn more about Mederma's trusted scar care products and about how you are more than your scar over at Mederma.com. So I believe in divine timing, obviously, and this partner today felt very divinely timed. So when I turned 36, I had this sort of like (gasps) moment where I had never really thought about my fertility and started to feel like unsure of what I should do to get a hold of it and understand really what was going on. Cue Modern Fertility, who literally I had this conversation with my partner and then Modern Fertility popped onto my radar the next day. So there we go. So Modern Fertility is an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones from home with a simple finger prick. Then you mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. You may know that traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the exact same information. Go to modernfertility.com slash retrograde. You get $20 off your test. And also, if any of you use an HSA or an FSA, you can use those dollars towards modern fertility as well. You get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means. And you can also talk one-on-one with a nurse to review your results and options for next steps. So for me, I already had my yearly OBGYN appointment on the books, and I brought in the test results to my appointment, and he and I went over them, and it was so helpful. I had the information from Modern Fertility. It was great to talk to my doctor. It just put the whole situation, it made it just feel really manageable. And I had a new level of understanding for what was going on with my body currently. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering, that's a retrograde listeners, as I said, $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash retrograde. That means the test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at the doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash retrograde. That's modernfertility.com slash retrograde. Guys, this is a fantastic discovery. Who wants to leave their house? Maybe we do. Maybe at this point we want to leave the house, but not for a blood test. Let's be real. I want to get into just like a deep dive of some Bravo hot topics that were that are currently happening. I've had a few listeners ask me to weigh in on the Erica Jane, Tom Girardi scenario. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hold on that. I have the perfect person to talk about that with. Yeah. So we had the Hulu doc come out. That was a reveal. Recently, they introduced the storyline into the show and really giving Erica an opportunity to share her side. What are your thoughts? The documentary, I think, actually made it difficult on Bravo in a lot of ways because the documentary shared with us a lot of stuff that I think people always suspected, especially regarding Tom, the husband. So then as we're watching the show and it's unfolding on the show, oftentimes on Bravo, they'll unfold in a very painstaking way, meaning like they'll just drop little tiny tidbits at us to keep us coming back next week. And so ultimately, I think it was bad that it was hard on Bravo that the documentary came out before they started addressing it on the show, because then once they started addressing it with Erica Jane on the show, it was like, oh, we already know all this. Like we want we need more from her. Like we want stuff from her. And so she is revealing stuff on the show and how she feels about Tom and the marriage and all of that kind of stuff. I think we all sort of want more. And and I think it's frustrating for the viewer to not hear her. I don't know if she'd ever completely please us, but 
there's like certain things it feels like we're not addressing, particularly like the victims of, of these crimes or alleged situations that Tom was in. It feels like they still haven't brought that up on the show and maybe they will. But as a viewer, I'm like, we already heard about, you know, the allegations in this documentary. So now we want to hear about it on the show. So give it to us. Let us know how she feels. So do you think she knew that's really like the million dollar question. Did she know about what his business dealings were or lack thereof? Or was she fully in the dark? What do you think? I love to give people the benefit of the doubt and think that they're altruistic and good and that she was just unhappy in the marriage and that he was a dick and maybe philandering. And that's why she stepped out. But that feels like a very convenient story. There are just a lot of inconsistencies that I see. You know, there is uh, this report that he was saying, forgive me, I don't have the details, but didn't he say like somebody filed that he had dementia or suffering from dementia? And so a lot of that timeline doesn't line up with like the timeline of the filing for divorce to me. And so it's hard to know what's true and what's not. I mean, and I'm not the judge and jury, in my opinion. Do I think she knew? Yeah, I do. Or at least turned a blind eye to things that she shouldn't have turned a blind eye to. But I don't know. It's a really layered, tough thing, which as a viewer, I'm like, great. They're giving us story. I'm loving it. I'm actually into like the riches to, I'm using air quotes, rags of the housewife storyline. I think that that's like a nice like trope turned on its head that I'm into and it's giving us something. You know, we had Aaron Brockovich on the show and I, at the end of the interview, I asked her, I was like, tell me about Tom Girardi and Erica Jane. And it didn't, we cut it for time and I need to find Wait, this. you need to play it. I know. Well, if there's anything to come of this Erica Jane Tom stuff, it's that we need Jules to put the crop top back on and uh, get on our screens as Erin Brockovich again. I don't know how we relate the two exactly, like what the storyline is, but we need, to get, we need to get Jules back in front of the red light to film a scripted thing about this. Absolutely. Okay, so then what are you feeling about like, BH right now, Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, for those who might be new. What are your thoughts on this season? I'm loving this season so far. I like the layers of it. You know, I like that we have this overarching thing with the Tom Erica stuff, but then we also have these little fights happening between Sutton and, and Crystal, who I think are both great additions to the show. There's a little Kyle Dorit stuff and Kathy Hilton to me is just like the star that we never knew we had. What? And I so, know. It, yeah, she's the best. All, she's under so, our nose this whole time. There's so much there. There's so much there. And I think it, she works best as just a friend of like, as much as I would love more screen time with Kath, I savor the little moments we get with her on the show. Absolutely. I'm so with that. Yeah, I'm loving. I think the cast is wonderful. I like everything that's happening. We've, as I said, we've got storyline. They're like a little, I, I could do without the like walking in the room thing being spread out for three episodes, but that's classic Beverly Hills. Like, of course they're going to drag it out that way. But I mean, it's, I'm loving it. Yeah. That was, fr that, the Erica stuff is frustrating to watch as a viewer because we just want more of it. And then it's just frustrating. But I do think one of the most important things with Beverly Hills this season is that they have a very large cast. And so when you compare it to something like Roni, which has always been my absolute favorite, but it's just has too small of a cast this season. They don't even have many side characters on Roni right now, it feels. And I know they filmed during COVID, so that was tough, but 
on Beverly Hills, it feels like a nice, robust cast of both our main people and then friends of like Kath and then, you know, husbands like PK and Mauricio kind of on the outskirts. So I'm loving it. Loving I'm obsessed it. with Mauricio. I know. I love, you know, I never, I never had a thing for him. Who's your favorite house husband? You know, I never had a thing for Mauricio, but this season I'm seeing the light and I've always thought he was attractive, but he never really like personality wise did much for me. And I think that was because every time they flipped him, he was in that agency hat. But once he started smoking weed on camera and just seemed real relaxed, like a good father, a good husband, I just, now I really, I love him with all my heart. And I'm, besides him, I mean, I love a PK scene that doesn't, I, I'm not, he's not my favorite person, but I love like when they cut to a Dorit and PK moment, like I am like salivating over the screen just because it's so juicy and weird and bizarre. And they remind me of like, who are the Rocky and Bullwinkle villains? Like, <laughs> I never thought I like, I never thought twice about PK, but then pre-pandemic, I saw him at the valet line at the Beverly Hills Hotel and I was so excited. So I was like, okay, clearly there's something here. (laughs) There's also something very interesting about the PK Mauricio dynamic. And it's almost, they did one scene this season where it was like those two and maybe like Crystal's husband, Rob, or someone sitting down and chatting. And it reminded me of what they do on New Jersey, which they, Jersey has lots of scenes with just the husbands. And I, for a moment, I usually say that only works on like Jersey and Married to Medicine to show the husbands. But for a moment, I thought maybe I want to see the husbands on Beverly Hills for, for more scenes with just them. I don't know. I'd be open to that. I'd be open to that. In fact, you got me into Married to Medicine and we had Dr. Jackie on the show and we DM now. So um, it's Dr. Like, Jackie's the best and Married to Medicine, most consistent show on Bravo. It's never a bad season. It's phenomenal. It's so good. Okay, Roni, we mentioned skeleton cast. What are your thoughts? Which I think is, it's just tough. I think that this is a transitional season and I'm okay with that. What are your thoughts on Leah? Because she knocked it out of the park the first season and second season, it feels not so much of a home run. Yeah. You know, early on in the season, I kept saying this on my show. I I did, maybe I'm being nuts, but like, I do feel like we need to give her a little grace because of what she went through with her grandmother. Because I often think of, I, I try to put myself in their shoes at least a little bit. And I'm thinking like, if I was filming at the beginning of the pandemic, as one of my loved ones was passing, like I would be fucking nuts. Like I would be a nutcase. So Certain things I thought that were very frustrating to watch as a viewer, I thought, let's wait and and see a little bit. So I do think I'm still TBD on the Leah of it all. Of course, there was a lot of stuff where it was frustrating to watch. I liked Heather Holla Thompson. And so it was hard to watch. Hey, mama. It was hard to watch. Leah go so hard for her before Heather had even really been on the trip. And I think that must have been tough in terms of production because I think they were thinking that Heather was going to be more integrated into the show after that weekend. And so I don't know. I I hope that Heather or I hope that Leah comes around and the rest of the season. But in terms of those early episodes, it was like seven episodes at that Ramona's house in the Hamptons. And yeah, they milked it. They milked it. And it, so it was early on and it was a five day period that they were at Ramona's house. And it was during pandemic, during pre-election and somebody was passing in her family. So, you know, in that way, I just keep thinking like I would have been I don't know if I would have acted the way she did, but I would have been crazed on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also appreciate the conversion to Judaism storyline. We haven't seen that. And in my head, Leah was like, okay, going in for a second season, let's watch Sex in the City and like pull something from there. 
that resonates and go with it. That's the vibe I'm getting. To be completely honest with you, until you just said her conversion to Judaism, I totally forgot that this was a thing that was happening this season on the show. So I hope we see more of it because I did just only remember now. I'm into it. Shalom, Leah. Welcome. Mazel tov. Um, Merry Merry Christmas. That was a great (laughs) Kathy moment. All right, guys, we are taking a break to talk about some partners that are newer to the show, but we are super stoked about Public Goods is who I want to get into first. They are a online one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. You can shop everything from coffee to toilet paper to shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. I am so obsessed with them. They've basically curated everything you need in your home under one label public goods. So instead of buying a bunch of single product brands, you can buy all public goods premium essentials in one place with a beautiful streamlined aesthetic. They have such a cool branding. It's just plain, either like clear or white. It just says public goods in little writing. And they are ethically sourced and they are they have obsessively developed each of their products to be free of all the ingredients and harmful additives that are still commonly found on drug and grocery store shelves. I know you guys know this, but maybe there's someone in your life who's still using the toxic, toxic stuff and isn't covering their mouth or nose and just breathing it in all day. So if you know your family members are doing that, you can introduce them to public goods or you can replace things on your shelf that you maybe needed to replace but weren't sure where to go. This is just a great resource. They are just fully committed to making the products healthy and safe for humans and animals, you know, check them out. I'm such a fan. I use the hand soap. I use the household cleaner. The household cleaner smells so good. And I just love the aesthetic of the way everything looks in my house. So we love public goods so much. And they gave us an amazing deal just for listeners of So Retrograde. You will receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. You're going to love it. They know you're going to love it. So they're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase of any price. That's publicgoods.com slash retrograde. So if you want to check this out, go over to publicgoods.com slash retrograde, or you can use code retrograde. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S.com forward slash retrograde, and you will get $15 off your first order. Okay, moving on. We are so excited to partner with our friends over at Olive and June. Okay. So it's called the Manny system and they provide you with everything you need to give yourself a high quality salon manicure. The polish lasts over seven days and does not chip. Each at-home Manny ends up coming down to just $2.00. So you're saving yourself money and you're getting a skill. I've pride myself in being good at painting my nails. Check out the Olive and June Manny experience. It's so cool. They have every little tool that you need for a manicure. And it comes in this really beautiful carrying case that you end up using. If you get the petty system, you can use it to put your foot on. The system is only five steps and it comes with a what they call the poppy which is a patented brush handle to make it easy to paint both of your hands. It's kind of like when you were a little kid and you were learning to write, you would have that like crutch that you would put on your pencil so you would hold the pen right. Similar to that, but for the top of a nail polish bottle. The polish is so beautiful. I love all the colors that I got and they truly don't ship. 
before a week, which is wild because every other polish, like you wash your hands once and it just comes off and it's not a gel. So it's non-toxic. So guys, if you're feeling like I need a manicure, I need a pedicure, I want to do it at home, but I kind of suck at it. uh, Look no further because Olive and June has what you need. If you want to check it out, go over to oliveandjune.com. Explore the Manny system and the Petty system and just feel like you're doing something good for yourself to do at-home nails all in one, no guessing, no messy nails, no salon prices. You're saving yourself money and you're learning a skill. It's so rad. You will get 20% off your first Manny system if you go to oliveandjune.com using the code retrograde. No more expensive bad Mannies. Now it's for you to do a cheap, good one yourself. You and your friends have a Manny party. I don't know, guys. Get involved. oliveandjune.com, code retrograde. All right, guys, let's take a break. We are talking about Bev today. Bev is a female-first canned wine brand that was founded to change not only the way a product is consumed, but the way an industry and culture have operated for generations. Everyone who listens to that so retrograde pretty much knows what a huge fan of wine I am. It's part of my blood type. I'm partially type O, partially type Pinot Noir. And so that's why I'm so excited that Bev is one of the partners of our show now. They are breaking norms for the wine industry and creating something from the female perspective that is approachable, fun, and consumer-centric. Gosh, we love all these things. They've got four varietals of wine. They've got their Rosé, Sauve Blanc, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. I love the Pinot Noir put in the fridge. I like a chilled red. They are dry, crispy, and a little bit fizzy, super refreshing and delicious. Pour it over ice. I know that sounds weird, but red wine over ice is a true delight. If you don't believe me, ask Diane Keaton. She does it too. Bev has zero sugar, only three carbs, and 100 calories per serving, so you can indulge without overdoing it on the sugar. The cans are each a glass and a half of wine. That's perfect because sometimes I'll open a bottle that I want to drink and then I don't want to leave it. So then I find myself drinking too much or throwing it away. Nobody wants to waste the drink of the gods. They have four packs that are great for gifting or hosting. I've been, you know, invited to some friends' houses recently and I've been bringing little boxes of Bev and it's just a fun little group thing. They ship straight to your door and the shipping is always free. So listeners, if that's a retrograde, that's you guys will receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping on all orders. If you go to drinkbev.com slash retrograde or use code retrograde at checkout, drinkbev.com slash retrograde, try their best-selling ladies night variety pack so you can check out all the delicious flavors and pick which one speaks to your soul. That's D-R-I-N-K-B-E-V dot com slash retrograde. Okay, so I know that you have had a lot of housewives on your show and interacted with them, BravoCon, all that fun stuff. Curious, like your best housewife interaction. So my best uh, at BravoCon, I wasn't feeling well. I did a live Everything Iconic show there and Margaret Josephs from Jersey was one of the guests. And I had told her I wasn't feeling great. And she kept checking in on me during the weekend. And I just thought it was very sweet. It was very maternal in a way. Like when I would see her, I'm not even sure that she remembers. I have told her, but it's like every time I would see her, she would say, do you need anything? Are you okay? And oftentimes with the housewives, they're to talk about themselves and they're not ever sort of asking you even just how are you, you know? So it struck me as very kind of her to just to ask me that and throughout a couple of days. So I really loved that. Just like 
general human decency just struck you. As I'm sure you fantastic. know, interviewing a lot of people, it's sometimes you realize like, oh, they people don't have those, those qualities. <laughs> We're very lucky on the show. We have wonderful guests, but I have interacted with a few housewives myself. And Has there been I one that, that sticks out as really bad for you? Not really bad. They've actually always... So I started my first career... 13 years ago, my first job, I worked in PR and we did celebrity gifting suites for award shows and like Sundance. So I was running into them and this was 13 years ago when like nobody really cared and it was really just becoming a thing. So like I remember like like, meeting Tamara Judge after like the first or second season of OC. Like she was cool. My favorite was Bethany at Sundance. She came in and she was so dope. She was, I was like, I love the show. Are you coming back for a second season? This was after the first season of Roni. And she was like, yeah, we're, I'm going to do another one. And she like invited me to this event she was doing. And she was, that was a nice interaction. I've had like a great Luann hang. So I've had some moments. Had some good That's moments. amazing. Yeah, it's different. When people come on the show, usually they are on their best behavior. So, you know, there's not really, they're usually really nice. By the time I'm interacting with them, it's like they are coming to promote the show. And so they're not there to be rude or mean or anything. So usually they're pretty lovely, but I've had one or two that can you one that haven't um, been great. Name a name? No, I won't. Okay. But I, people I think can tell usually on the interviews, like sometimes, although sometimes like I'll have a really great reaction to one of the housewives and people be like, I can't believe they were so horrible on your show. And I'm like, oh, I thought they were great. But usually though, most of the time people can tell, like there was one where I felt like most of the, listeners picked up on it and they would reach out to me in, in different ways. And I think they got it. I'm pretty sure I, I as a also yeah, you, listener, people I, could probably guess. I know where, where you're going with that. Yeah. But a lot of them are really great. You know, like I, Candy Burris was really fun to talk to. Cynthia Bailey, like stuck around she for a little while after the interview and chatted, which I thought was nice. And I love Dr. Wendy from Potomac. She was, she was really love super her. sweet and great. I liked that. Because you got her to right when you know, first season is such a an interesting time to catch them when it's just beginning to air and like just, you know, the tides shift in terms of their notoriety. And I don't know, personally, I think to sign on to be a housewife in this day and age when we know e- sort of exactly how it can shake out better or for worse is a wild decision to make. But as a viewer, I'm all for it. Right. Yeah, we like them one minute. I mean, I... I think a lot of people didn't maybe like love Dr. Wendy and Potomac first season, but I, I do believe this second season of hers, people will really fall for her. And Bravo, I always say like, they do that roller coaster purposefully. They want the audience to love someone one minute and hate them the next, because that's what keeps us tuning in and questioning how we feel about these people. It keeps us engaged. And so it's all purposeful. It's all masterminded, but it is typical. We don't always like love someone well, I don't think we'll ever really like love someone every single one of their seasons. Sure. Right now, in this moment, on this day of July 2021, who's your favorite? Who's your least favorite? At this moment, uh, Karen Huger from The Real Housewives of Potomac is my favorite. And she's like one of the only housewives that I have not interviewed. And I love her, love her, love her. And, and in terms of who I don't like, gosh, who am, I don't know. Um, who am I not? I'm not loving Rinna this season on Beverly Hills. She, I, I don't feel like she's bringing much to the show. I, I, I used to always love sort of the messiness and stirring of the pot of Rinna. 
But this has nothing to do with her outside of the show. It's just like on the show, I'm like, I, I don't know if we're getting a lot from her or Dorit. So I mentioned Brian Moylan's book. Did you read it? Because you're I in did, it. Yeah. And there's just such a fascinating chapter around sort of the industry around Housewives, which I found so interesting. Not just podcasts and, and meme accounts and that sort of thing, but like Etsy accounts. And, and I mean, it's just, I'm so, as a spectator and an enjoyer of all of this, I just am very enamored by just the legs that this franchise has in, in so many different directions. I'm curious, being part of that, like what what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's really, his, Brian's great. And I think that it's fascinating that Bravo has such a culture created around it. And it's the only thing that I think is even comparable in the current pop culture landscape is something like The Bachelor, which has Bachelor Nation and it's a very passionate fan base. And there's a whole world outside of just the, the show. And so I think seeing that at BravoCon specifically and how this is something that transcends just the, the shows that they air at night. I mean, this is a fan base that feels so passionately and buys merch and supports books from these housewives and businesses and drink lines and all sorts of stuff, as well as spinoffs. And even the housewives, I always say like, even the housewives we hate, like we're allowed to hate them when we watch the shows. But the minute like one of the housewives goes and does like Celebrity Big Brother or something, I will root for them. Like, I don't care if I hate them currently on the show. It's like a family thing in a weird way. It's like, if they're having a bad season, I don't care if they're on Worst Chefs in America on the Food Network, I'm going to be rooting for that person. Even if it's, I don't care who it is, Cindy Barship. If I see her pop up on a show, I'm going to be rooting for her. I mean, speaking of Cindy, is there anything worse than, don't you feel so bad for a one season housewife that doesn't get asked back? Like, I truly can't think of anything more upsetting. It's very cringy. It's, yeah, it's very cringy. On the OC last season, there's this woman, Elizabeth, and I imagine it must've just been very challenging to come in to film that season that happened like at the very start of COVID, but there was so much, it feels sad in a way. It's like, oh, how awful. Because the first season, they lay it all out on the line. They introduce themselves. They get really deep. And when you don't get asked back, it's like, you're not interesting enough. Or like, you didn't, no one liked you. Like, it's it's a rough one. And I, I feel like doing reality television is like porn. It's like you do it once and you're just like, it's out there. Like, you're, everything you do is going to be on page six. Like, it's fodder, regardless of if it was like a longstanding reality career or if you just did one season and that was it. You're totally right. And you don't get the perks of like a a one season housewife. They don't get a ton of new followers on social media. They might get a little boost, but it takes a few seasons to really get the big boost. So you can't make social media money. It's you're not going to get on other reality shows because they are going to assume you're not good at reality TV, but then you're right. You are public fodder for page six or whatever, without any of the perks and the money and people wanting your business ventures and stuff like that. It's a hard burden to bear. You know, sometimes we think, what, are we enabling some of this behavior? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, but you know what? I, Glennon Doyle is, who's a huge Bravo fan. She's like, I've given up all of my vices. This is my one thing. And that's how I feel too. I'm like, it's just the one silly thing that's lighthearted for me. And just, I can talk about it and find the hilarity in it and just, I just love it. And it's like, not that deep. And yeah, we look at it as almost a cartoon. You know, I think that's how we view it. And, and there are moments that sort of permeate through that 
that lens of it being a cartoon where we start to think, are we enabling this? Then that can be tough, a challenging thing to wrestle with. But, you know, Glennon's right. It is a vice and I don't know. So the thing I love so much about your show and there's so much, there's like, yes, it's silly. And we're, we're talking about all of these things. It's lighthearted. It's ironic, but you do it with a lot of heart and you close every show reminding us to take a deep breath and doing a card pull. And it's something that as you know, it has built this show around consciousness and mindfulness with, you know, having fun while doing it and like finding levity in it. I just, it so speaks to me, which is another reason why I was so excited to talk to you today. Talk to me about that decision. Thank you. And and you do it so well on this show too. I mean, I think with the mindfulness, I sort of stumbled upon it. You know, I was doing an episode where I was doing a recap and sort of jokingly at the end, I, I had gotten so worked up about everything. I was like, oh, I need to take a breather. And I was like, um, let's all take a deep breath in. And I I did this sort of random guided meditation early on as a joke, but also as a way for myself to calm down. And I'm someone who I meditate, but it, I've, I stumbled into it. And then I heard from a lot of people who were like, oh my God, I needed that moment to just take a breath. And we all go about our days and forget to take those deep breaths in. And I do it. And oftentimes I'll have new listeners to my show and and they'll write me and they don't understand it because it does sometimes come out of nowhere. I'll be talking about housewives and I'm like, okay, let's take our deep breaths in. <laughs> and I put on like my NPR voice. Uh, but I think it is a good way for all of us to take a moment and just uh, just collect ourselves. And I need to do that in my everyday life. And Sometimes it's just a reminder to myself, like I need to take a minute. I appreciate it so much as a listener. What about, you mentioned meditation. What's your meditation practice look like? Any other so-called wellness things that you're into? I sort of do it all, but I love a Headspace app. This isn't a plug or an ad or anything, but I love the Headspace app. They have a great app that does guided meditations. And I always recommend it, especially people who have never meditated before. You can do it for like five, 10 minutes. You can even find them on YouTube too. If you want to, if you're interested in meditation, but you're not sure where to start, just do like a little five minute thing on YouTube. But the Headspace app is great for that. And then I do all the, I'm very cognizant of my mental health and I have been through all sorts of struggles with anxiety and depression. And whenever I notice my anxiety starting to a snowball, I go back into that toolkit that I've learned of like meditation, healthy eating, exercise, uh, journaling is really important to me. I'm a writer and I write like a lot. And I think it's really great to just grab a piece of paper and write down whatever you're thinking in the moment. And and you don't have to do anything with it. You could throw it away if you don't want to keep the... It, you don't think of it as doing a, a diary or as a, as a journal. I think oftentimes though, just getting those thoughts onto a piece of paper can help uh, help them escape your head a little bit. So those are good things. And then if you have access, it's always good to talk to professional if you can. Absolutely. I co-sign on all of those. Those are... And, and the thing I love about what you just went over is they're free, essentially. I mean, obviously therapy is an investment, but breathing and writing, and we always say hydrating and smiling, like those are all things that we can all do and access at any moment. And that's what's so important, especially with the well, the trillion dollar wellness industry that feels like you, it's such a high ticket buy-in to even be part of the conversation. Something that I think is important that I, I'm constantly having to remind myself because I have poor eating habits and I'm a di- I love my sugar. I love my sweets and processed foods and stuff. But I think it's important to know that a lot of that can impact your 
your mental health. And so if you're eating a lot of like, I don't know, trashy processed foods, maybe just be cognizant of the fact that that is going to affect your sluggishness or your anxiety and stuff like that. And try, you know, I know it's hard, but. Can you do us a favor and lead us in a breath moment? Would you be open to that? Oh my gosh, sure. Okay. And then you always do a card pull. So I'm going to do a card pull. So breath moment, and then we'll do a card pull. Okay, perfect. So let's all just take a moment. Let's just take a deep breath in. Hold it. Breathe out. Let's take one more deep breath in. Hold it. Think about something you're grateful for. Breathe out. And we'll do a little card pull. Yes. Okay. So this deck is from a friend and former guest of the show. She goes by Cardsy B. Her her name is Rebecca. You would love this deck. It's called the Badass Bitches Tarot Deck. And it's all pop culture women in history (gasps) representing the the different cards. So hold on, just tapping I need to get that. You know, I got in the mail some meditation card and it's called I Am Everything, but I don't even know where, people always ask me where to get them. Like I don't, it came with like a PR pack or something. Like I don't even know where they sell it, but. Okay, so here's the message for the That's So Retrograde audience today. Oh, three of swords. We've got Jennifer Aniston, I believe, holding swords that are down. Hold on. Let's reference the, oh, okay, interesting. Not the, not the most lighthearted one, but I'm going to go with it. Always in the tabloids for breakups and divorce, Jen has become known as the queen of heartbreak and disappointment. The three of swords comes in as a painful and piercing truth, but often brings the most profound growth. Guys, I know so many of us are going through major transitions right now. And so that feels right. This feels right for us. It's also a friendly reminder for us all to hydrate because Jen promotes a lot of uh, products uh, that uh, teach us we need hydration. She does smart water. She does the eye drop. She does all uh, vital proteins. Got to get our collagen in. Hydrate. Yes. Danny. Wow. Thank you so much. I have just, this is just like such a heart wish come true. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And hopefully we'll get to do it again in person. Um, Would love that. Tell our listeners where they can find you. You can find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. And my show is called Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. Then you can get on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing. Thank you so much.